Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit. I'm going to step back and allow Ronan Wendy's doing his editing to add in some fanfare, Ronan. I'm expecting it now. You better deliver it because it is our 200th and change episode. You always got to diss me, man. Or just a little bit numbering issue. Ten years ago, you still got to bring it up every time. <laughs> Welcome to episode 200, everybody. If you've been following along for the last part of this journey, you'll know this is also our 10-year anniversary, Sean. Just passed it. We started this podcast back in March of 2013. 200 episodes, 10 years. It's been wonderful. It's been quite the ride from <laughs> our uh, sound issues. From our early days and our hello, and about three minutes this, ago. and about three minutes ago, and our initial hello, this is the game pit. We sounded like uh, what's his name out of Batman to three, Bane. <laughs> Go on, <D. laughs> hello, bro, man. I don't know what that was. That wasn't Bane or Bad Podcasting or anything. I'm so confused. So, yes, it's been 10 years, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us for episode 200. Uh, thank you for whatever part of this journey you have joined us on. We're not going to wallow in nostalgia for too long, Sean, but we've been through a few phases and iterations. Uh, we started off being, well, we're not great now, but awful would be a fair description. I always remember episode two episode one because we were brand new it seemed better but episode two was the the, the low for you me you've mentioned that 50 times in 200 episodes which is pretty mean <laughs> i particularly like somewhere around episode seven or eight i spent six hours putting together sort of clips of sound effects like a dolphin at the end of a bar fight and stuff do you remember that i remember the belfort one where you put in cutting and soaring and the sound of chains and all sorts together and it and it just didn't come through you never told me before you didn't appreciate that and that's it's quite hurtful to learn that live on air i loved the effort ronan should we just say that no that also hurts as well that took me hours <laughs> i mean hours it really did it really did i remember i remember you phoning me in the middle of it crying probably yeah, just shit. crying <laughs> we then had our phase i mean we, i think it's linked to obviously we're both in management and stuff at work and we decided to get a bit serious and a bit organized and we were talking a lot to publishers and we for some reason decided we were going to be some sort of uh, organized part of the establishment i don't know what we were aiming for there but possibly more business like than fun for a while I would say so, and I think we made that conscious decision, you know what, we don't get paid for this, and it is supposed to be fun, so let's make it fun, and I think that is where we are sitting right now. Well, I think there's a couple of couple of phases to go through. We used to, <laughs> especially around Essen, get a lot of review copies. They, I would say, are mm -hmm. still probably available to us, and we've made the other conscious decision of not even to take review copies anymore. So we've never been paid for any coverage ever apart from tom vassal gave us a couple of dollars to do a video once which was off our own but it wasn't even a review so um that was it no publisher money has ever come away but we did used to get review copies and we just decided and i know this sounds incredibly selfish to people who never got them but they were pressure that we didn't need for something that we do as a hobby it was, and there's certain publishers who will remain nameless, Stonemaier, <laughs> that put, hey, why not? <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, that um, are a bit, bit precious about their review copies and quite demanding about when they go out and how they go out. Yeah, they, I think they expect professionalism when they're not paying for it. 
and that certainly got our backs yeah. up. I mean, again, we do what we do. We work. We work in an environment in which you're respected for what you do, and then some some publishers look down on content creators and treat them poorly. It's part of sort of the whole industry as we've seen we've seen professionalism come into coverage be it by more video obviously over the 10 years better podcasts just strict better podcasts but also better produced podcasts but the money behind that comes from publishers there's no other way to make a living in the board game media unless and every single channel out there no matter what they say if they've got professionals is accepting money from publishers in some way and now that's not mean they're getting paid for positive reviews but whether it be kickstarter previews mm-hmm. or coverage or to do a playthrough or an unboxing whatever they're all getting money from publishers and that's where the money comes from and something sean that we i think always aim for but certainly now is to be completely independent and not have to rely on anyone else and not be at the scraps it means that we don't come out as often as we could if we were doing it full time we're not as good we're not as prepared we're not as on the ball our equipment isn't fantastic it's what we scrabble together after a late shift like right now tired stressed from the day but (laughs) it is the only way I think that we could still be doing this podcast 10 years later still be authentic to ourselves absolutely absolutely you're you're absolutely right i think the the industry has changed massively in that 10 10 years and it has led to people like rado rado has always said and i'm not knocking rado at all because i really like him but he always said like i'm never going to accept money for these videos this is my channel and i want to say what i want to say and i want to cover what i want to say but now to a certain degree he is he's he's now doing paid previews of games so he's absolutely declares that up front but that's the way the industry has to go and if you do want to make a living as Rhoda said you have to accept that sort of money so yeah I think the closest we ever got to that sort of thing would be when we were doing the pit stops uh, yeah. and they just started getting some attention and it was actually almost a fight not to get paid and, and the industry had changed so much by that point that people were shocked where it was like how much does it cost can we give you money please don't no, we'd like to. No, please don't, because we we don't want to be linked. With, we need this to be a hobby. But once any sort of money got anywhere near it, it stopped being fun. And again, we never accepted any money apart from okay, the very small amount from Tom for doing a pit stop. That you know, that was it. And we got to choose the pit stop as well. So, I suppose that's the last ten years in a nutshell, Ronan. I've had my ups and downs. I've, I've had my pressures with this, but I think I'm now in a very happy place with the podcast and a lot of that's down to you. So I'm going to take this opportunity. I was going to say it at the end, but I'll say it now. Thank you for keeping the podcast going. So I'd like to say thank you very much for doing that. Well, it's really only reached 10 year mark because we enjoyed doing it and it gives us a reason to talk and chat and what well, we're always going to do anyway, but it just gives us something to sort of focus on and do together. And it is ours just because my kids happen to be a bit older and I've got a little bit more time doesn't make any difference. At some point, something will go wrong for me and you'll take over and we'll just keep rolling on with our small little podcast that we enjoy <laughs> and certain people enjoy and we're quite happy having it as it is. So thank you, Sean. You were the instigator of the game pit. You are the founding father. <laughs> Only because I listened to some podcasts and thought I could do that better. Just pure <laughs> arrogance, really. <laughs> Proved we couldn't, but that's all right. I like to think that you're the founding father and I'm the surrogate mother of the game pit. <laughs> so, shall we move on to the the reason that we're, we're here today? <laughs> to abuse each other in the 45 minutes it took me to get well, set up. 
<laughs> that too. That too. <laughs> that and we are, as you probably are aware, running down our end of our top 100 games of all time. It's been going on forever. It's been time to go inside with this 10 year anniversary in the 200th episode. And the, here are our own 20 favourite games of all time, for better or worse. And I think I start, Sean. I think I've just introduced myself. You have introduced yourself, but I'll do it for you as well. And here's Ronan with his number 20 game of all time. Beautifully done. It's the story that I like to tell about the fantastic filler that burst onto the scene one LobsterCon. We are just back from our LobsterCon, but we don't know what we've played because we haven't gone yet. You get me? But <laughs> Make sense of that if you can. A particular... Loves the card. You may have heard the story before. I stayed up all night drinking red wine, playing dozens and dozens of games of Love Letter when it came in the little envelope with an animal sticker on it. And it was just mind-blowing at the time that such a simple, quick game could lead to so much intrigue and laughter and surprise plays and, and chance random. And obviously the fact that we were well in our cups <laughs> aided with that but love letter has stuck with me it's stuck with my family it is still a filler that i will pull out and be surprised at how fabulous it is dozens and dozens endless dozens of games of this and my number 20 game of all time one of my favorite fillers sean love letter love letter as fans of this podcast from the early days especially when i likened it to snap and being as exciting as Snap, uh, we'll, we'll know my journey with Love Letter is a, lo- a labour of love. It's, it's well, that's probably not the right way. An ever-growing love, shall we say? I started off, I didn't understand it, and slowly but surely, I grew to love it. And it's definitely a game I thoroughly enjoy playing now. Still hard to get to the table in my house because Nat has steadfastly refused to, to find the love for it. But James loves it. And yeah, it's a it's a great choice for your number 20. Thank you very much. What's your 20, Sean? So my number 20 is a funny one. It's a game that I really loved, thought that nobody else liked, realised that they did and got it back because I'd previously got rid of it. It's Endangered. And it's all about saving animals in the wild. You've got your tigers, otters, what have you. And it's a game in which you are constantly building up your playing surface, and not just your own, but you're building up the tableau for everybody else to use. You're putting down action spaces with cards. You're working really cooperatively with each other. The theme comes through, especially if you love animals. It gets quite stressful, gets quite heated because you are trying to save those tigers or those otters or those pandas. And I just think it all comes together to make a really interesting and exciting sometimes experience on the table that's endangered. Nice choice. I haven't played it enough for it to have been a contender, but I think I'm one of those people you thought didn't like it, but actually I very much did. I thought you and Rachel didn't really get on with it at all. And both of you have separately said to me, no, that was really good. Why'd you get rid of it? And I was like, I'm going to get it back. It makes <laughs> so you a bad person, basically. It does. So, okay. That was my number 20, your number 19, Ronan. My number 19, speaking of Rachel, more like than not, if her and I are going to sit down and play a two-player game together, it will involve quilting and buttons and leaping each other on the track and a lot of abusing each other for the choices that have been left for the next person patchwork is fabulous we've played another one so many times games are 
invariably incredibly tight between us there's always a lot of laughter we can read each other's plays so well there's very much thinking about what i'm leaving for you as much as what i'm taking for myself we've reached a different level almost like a a zen level of (laughs) predicting four or five moves ahead for each other and stitching each other up and it is marvellous a fabulous two-player game one which i often still gift to people who are quite new or they play games with their partner or they're looking for a two-player game to play i'll say this is this is the one because it will blow your mind and you'll start playing and if you haven't played polyonos before you'll be terrible and you will develop and it's the sort of thing that creates a a sort of a narrative for you to realize oh a new new strategies and new thinking and i think it acts very well as a couple's game at all levels so my number 19 is patchwork yeah, Patchwork is another great choice, Ronan. It's it's my go-to on the app. And I've recently introduced it via the app to James, where we did a parson player in the hospital while we were waiting for the younger one to go and get his head seen to after he head by the ra- a radiator. Nothing's fixing the Nothing's fixing the And yeah, we passed them. We ended up playing like three games back to back. He absolutely loved it. So now I know Nat loves it. I know you guys love it. I'm not at your level by any stretch of the imagination. I think I played Rachel a couple of years ago after she'd been absolutely attacking the app every day for like a year and she destroyed me. I think I finished on minus points or so, but she absolutely mauled me. Yeah, that's when I realised I'm not very good at that game, <laughs> so, but I still enjoy it and it's a great choice. Thank you. Yeah, and she, she still puts me on minus points if I'm not very, like I have to concentrate and be in the zone. She's just good all the time at it. I have to be at, yeah. like, pushing myself and really going for it to try and keep up with her. She still wins way more than I do. So, Sean, you're 19, please. Cool. Oh, I know I'm on very safe ground with this one. I think it was in the last episode, Ronan, and you, you'll be able to tell me. It is Dixit, my number 19. The card game where we talked about it is just giving people, especially youngsters, that appreciation for art and that there's more to the, more than the ICs initially and looking for stories in cards and brilliant family experience all round. Uh, yeah, Dixit, wonderful game. My 25, fantastic choice, as near as damn it next to each other. Beautiful, brilliant game. And there is a Dixit Disney coming out this year. Ooh, that could be interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's not sort of obvious as well. The artwork is still slightly, oh, it's not like a still from the film or anything like that, or a drawing of a still. It's related to, from what I've seen. So it did actually look very interesting, yes. I think it would, well, it would need to be, wouldn't it? You couldn't have a still for the film because that, that does tell the exact story because you know what the story is. So you wouldn't be able to sort of get anything further from that. I'd like to clarify that I can twist anything to be a bit weird. <laughs> Comparing to your voice this, this episode as well. Uh, I've got a bug. I've <laughs> the perfect timing. <laughs> I do not feel that well. But we'll soldier through for the people, Sean. For the people. Your number 18, Rhoda? We're talking polyominoes. We're talking drafting, filling up your ship in order to rescue as many felines as possible from the Isle of Cats. Are a lot of these games heavily influenced by the fact that Rachel loves playing with them with me? Yes. <laughs> Has this got drafting that I love both of cards and tiles? Yes. Have we played it very recently and still loved it? Yes. I think Isle of Cats is absolutely (laughs) fantastic. It is a huge hit with the family. We all love playing it. 
another one that's been played to death and uh, just glorious medium weight game which again pulls you and pushes you you can play it to a certain level and you will get better and better you know newer players will ignore the lessons and then you'll go oh maybe i'll go after the lesson then you'll take too many lessons and then you'll start evening up and again another one where you find your own balance of what your favorite way to play it is so isle of cat sean number 18 game of all time we as a family adore it Isle of Cats is your the third game in a row where you have made me question whether it's in my top 100. I don't think any of the three are, but they were certainly right up there in the reckoning. Isle of Cats, again, another one. It's, it's another favourite in our house as well, and it's, it's a fantastic game. I'm not the biggest Polyomnos fan, but if there were two games that were going to pull that around for me, it would be Isle of Cats and Patchwork. So, yeah, another great choice, Ronan. I think we've had 10 years of you saying, I'm not a fan of this sort of thing, but I like those four. <laughs> there's always there's always the exception to the your, rule. Your life is an exception <laughs> with tiny rules in. <laughs> your number 18, George. My number 18, I think it's one that... I can't remember what you think of it. I don't think you've played it enough, is, is what I think. It's Scythe from Stone Meyer and... What you give with one hand, you take away with the other. Stone Meyer, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. It's effectively a Euro game that has a war game pasted over it very, very thinly. You are trying to control area you do have the option for battles but generally you're collecting resources you're trying to reach the goals quicker than anybody else great production really solid gameplay and i've always thoroughly enjoyed my games of scythe so that's why it's my number 18 the low bits that don't work as well in scythe is what keeps it out of my top 100 but the high bits and the good bits that work are what keeps it close to my top 100 I have played it loads. I've had varying degrees of enjoyment with the games, mostly due to the enthusiasm of the players around the table. And I find that if you get four or five players who are willing to look past the flaws and throw themselves into it, then you can have a fantastic gaming experience. It's not consistently fantastic to be top 100, but similar to what you said about mine, this would be in the next echelon of games i like scythe very much i think it's a very good game cool right moving on 17 rona until we started talking about polyominoes i had not realized that i put three polyomino games in a row in my top 20 <laughs> so you know there you go this was there's no reason for you to remember this but last summer when i was doing reviews i was talking about i thought the initiative might be the game of our holiday or maybe it was two summers ago hard to remember summers and days and stuff i think it was two summers ago and it wasn't but what did come through as a surprise was the knizia campaign legacy-ish game which has got a sequel coming which has been delayed my city which is a polyomino lane game in which you're going through the eras and the rules which dictate how you lay your polyominoes and how they score and what your restrictions are change in a surprisingly thematic way. Now, it's not thematic, but if you squint, you can see why you're getting made to do certain things. Every single game, the rules change, but sometimes only a tiny amount. But in a clever system, sometimes a tiny rule change is enough to click your thinking over to the next level on the dial. We had an amazing time playing this. We 
thrashed through it to get it done before Ellie went back to uni and we adored my city and I'm very much looking forward to my island coming out soon and it's my number 17 game of all time my city is my pleasure to play yeah, yourself and Matthew Jude really sort of bashed me over the head with how good this was. Jude, so like, I did buy a copy. Game, he? What? <laughs> You'd never, never have thought it, but it might be the only one. And I have bought it. I have played it. I've played the I've played it twice. So we played the first uh, two sort of scenarios, and yeah, I like it. I like it. It's definitely made a really good impression. The fact that I haven't played it for ages is. Do I love it? I don't know. It does mean I'm judging you, if that helps. Okay, fair enough. Didn't make me want to drive on and play it over and over again, but it's still definitely one that we consider and like, shall we get that out? But I am absolutely cult of the new, so that plays a massive part in it. I love to learn new games and play new games. They're always coming in the door for various sources, so that's probably why I haven't got it played and it is a good game and I'm am looking forward to eventually giving it a proper go as they say you have to make that happen it won't happen for you <laughs> right so my number 17 is absolutely I think it's one of three or four on here that are very personal choices because of the theming to be honest and this is the first one letters from Whitechapel by far my favourite hidden movement game. I have long been a little bit obsessed about the Ripper murders of London and this was so well done and so sort of authentically done with the, the different murder dates and the different sort of where the, where the murders were carried out and the, the people around at the time. The different detectives and what have you, Abilene and all that. And yeah, I fell in love with this game it can be a little bit hit and miss. You have to have a good ripper. But I'm terrible at being the ripper. I always get caught in the first or second round. But if you have a good ripper, it can be really, really good. But you've got to also be aware that, that then it could go quite long. So it does have its flaws, but I forgive them because of the subject matter. And uh, that's from Whitechapel. I love Letters from Whitechapel. I have only played it, I'm going to say, three, maybe four times. Enjoyed it every time. It's hard to get a group that all enjoy a hidden movement game. That, that's like yeah. gold dust amongst gamers. For some reason, they're very Marmite. I will happily sit down for three or four hours and play letters from Whitechapel. However, as you're saying, sometimes the game ends up being 45 minutes long. You have to be prepared for it. To get a good Jack is really hard work for them, or a good Ripper. <laughs> very hard work to be good. It, it does feel like you're cornered. But a good choice, Sean. I, I like Letters from Whitechapel a good deal. And obviously, with your loving of the subject matter so much, uh, a, a predictable top 20 for you and a strong choice. Cool, right. No, you're number 16, Ronan. It slipped a little bit in recent years, but I don't want you to see that as an insult to you because you bought me <laughs> the Deluxe Master <laughs> Edition off it, which requires some curating to get it to be an ideal playing experience. But Yido has long been one of my favourite games of all time. It combines auctions and worker placement it is incredibly cutthroat with that mask set now you can sort of set a level of how cutthroat it is so 
I, I guess one of the one of the gaming devices would be to get a bunch of players who know it very well and play it at a very cutthroat level, so that we we will end up at about four points. That would that would just be perfect. <laughs> it is glorious. The strength of the system now, it's got so many modules you can put in and out of the master set and they all work. It's got that lovely production. But aside from all that, underneath it all, the skeleton is off a kind of old-fashioned, mean, this game hates you and doesn't want you to do well. You're going to have to work hard for everything you get. Euro, which lasts about two hours and it's two hours of sweating absolute bullets. (laughs) It's created its own language amongst those of us who, who are Yido aficionados at London on board from back in the day, in which we call the components by different things and we're aware and we could kind of call out what each other are trying to do and look to stitch each other up if you've got time to do it. Just a fantastic, incredibly interactive Euro game that works as a Euro and then just puts layer and layer off meanness and spite towards each other on top of it which is all done in the worst possible taste of course and you really got to dig each other out a little bit 16 yido the cause of aneurysms across the nation <laughs> that's to be honest i i thought yido was a top 20 game for you and this is probably where i'd have thought it would be and i think for it for me it really matters the level at which i play it I want the level to match the level I'm at. I've play, I played Yudo twice. First time, when I was new to it, I played it with people who were new to it. And we were kind of discovering things as you went. So nobody was like immediately being nasty right, because right, this is going to get me this. They didn't know the game. So that was the level I enjoyed. As I get more familiar with Yudo, I'd like to play with similar sort of uh, similar level. I don't think I could step into a game with you guys from London on board. I think... One, I'd get hosed, but it wouldn't be like a, oh, that was fun still. It would be a really frustrating, as you said, spiteful experience. And <laughs> Rona's making really rude gestures to me through his webcam. <laughs> but yeah, it is a really good game. And as long as I play with the right level of gamer for, for me, then I, I will enjoy it every time. So yeah, good choice. Good choice, Ronan. And that's something the master set allows you to do is if we've got new players, right, I'll put this set in. And it's much easier to adjust it and, and much more honed in the experience you can create for players. So uh, cool. that, that is the bonus of that. Right, Sean, your sweet 16. My sweet 16, I think you've already mentioned it, Ronan. It's uh, Dominion, the, the granddaddy of all this uh, deck building games. Still holds water absolutely today i think it's still a fantastic game if not the best deck builder in existence or oh, no i know i'm just no, looking literally I, I know it's not in two it's in two more in front of literally yeah, two spaces that. in front of it yeah yeah i'm being an idiot it's the second best deck builder in existence plus you're not very good at deciding what is a deck builder and what isn't don't forget that either. true well, neither are you according to everyone else <laughs> they're wrong because spirit island is a deck builder because you build your deck in the game so shut up <laughs> Anyway, yeah, Dominion. Ah, we, we've said we've said it all over the, over the last ten years, Ronan. What a great game! It hasn't been in my top one hundred. Fine game, had its day. Really? I thought you already said it. No, did I get that nope. wrong? I have not said Dominion. Oh, my number fifteen, I think, suffers maybe by a couple few places. Because we wrote this list so long ago, we've been going so long. And it was on the rise. 
combined between the two editions, we are talking well north of 300, possibly 400 plays off the one that we've talked about so much, we can't talk about too long, the cooperative trick taker, the crew. You know I love it. You know I try and get it out at every single opportunity. I think it is absolute genius of design. It's still fresh today after hundreds of games. It's still exciting. It's still interesting. You know that I love an evolving cooperative puzzle that we're trying to work it out between us, and this changes every time. The crew is just classic gaming genius simple design that will be around for many many years it's my number 15 according to this list it's the trick-taking game that made me actually appreciate trick-taking games so it's that good it's the one that i actually started to understand with yours and rachel's and nat's help and i think it's one of only two trick-taking games I've ever bought and the other one was for Nat, so it didn't really matter. And I'm looking forward to bringing in the crew, uh, the, the Deep Sea Missions one, to the table with James and Nat in the near future. So yeah, it's, it is a very good game. Well done. Thank you very much. So my number 15 is one that I've, God, I've harked upon this for so, so long. It's been, it's just dropped out of my top 10 in this last year or two. Probably because I've overplayed it and it's all on. The first bag building game I ever really played and it just does it so well. It's, it's, it's seamless in what it does. A bit of a race around the board as well to get to various locations and building up that bag is always interesting on about the direction you take and the Oleon it's a great Euro bag building game run it is very good probably slightly lacking in a little bit of flavour to take it top 100 for me but another one I'm always happy to play it and it's a very good game Oleon right you're number 14 Roden so you know I live with Rachel so we couldn't just have one cat themed vaguely game in my top 20 <laughs> no, I wouldn't be allowed into bed tonight if I got that and you also know that we love the pain and heartache caused by this seemingly simple calico it is a brutal tile drafter which forces you to try and create patterns and then the bag just laughs at your dreams and hopes as you never seem to get the right thing. And the one time, the one tile the perfect for you comes out, someone else is going to take it ahead of you and you just have to adapt. It's a game of looking for the pattern, seeking the pattern and then desperately adapting in the last quarter of the game to try and scramble together what few points you can manage from the wrecks of your dreams. It is horror in pretty colours with little cats. Calico is great and a, already a stalwart in this house. Yeah, it is a great game. It's not quite top 20 material. I think you'll find it's about the 53 mark. Uh, I think that's the correct place really? for it. Really? Uh, <laughs> let me just double check. Oh, yeah, it turns out it is with, in the Year of the Dragon. Yeah, there great. you go. <laughs> it's, I think it's your first one of these top 20 that's in my top 100. So it's obviously, there you go, it is a great game. Calico, brain-burning simplicity is what I would say for Calico. And Funnily enough, that's how I describe you. <laughs> how does he exist? How does he... <laughs> brain-burning simplicity in that boy. That's all I can tell you. Don't try and fathom it. We can only measure you yeah, in fathoms so, anyway. Good choice. Thank you, thank you. 
Your 14. My number 14 was the, is the game that made me a liar that Dominion was the finest deck builder that ever lived. And it's also the second game that is very personal because of the theme. It's DC Deck Builder. I love DC. I love deck building games. So therefore, I love DC Deck Building Game. It's quite simple. Probably one of the most simplistic deck builders out there. The cards do play them thematically for me. And all my favourite characters there uh, are there, rather. And what not to love, it's also James's favourite game in the world. So I get a lot of enjoyment out of that too. A miracle is occurring behind your head and you're not, you're not even aware of it. What our good listeners can't see is that Sean's got a quite a cool piece of Justice League artwork oh, <laughs> up on the wall of silhouettes and colours of the, uh, of the members of the Justice League. And they've all simultaneously started weeping. <laughs> Wasn't this your number one for like ever? I never, never my number one. Get out of here! My, no, no. Uh, when we get to what was my number one forever, I was pointing it out. Okay, I'm going to think about that now. Yeah, this was <laughs> top three, definitely. That you beat. Oh, it was definitely. So it was hundred percent top five. Yeah, yeah. But, um, oh no, no. Squeeze it to five. Sure, treat me like that. No, no. You win. <laughs> I will. <laughs> but yeah, it's just. The games that are all ahead of it are just such well-put-together games and such clever games. Sure, I'm not judging I, you. They're who's crying. <laughs> they're, are they judging me? Sorry, Justice <laughs> League. Just wait. I've just, you've just made me wave at my picture. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had the video of this. I'm so, I'm so easy. I'm so easy. <laughs> they're not angry. They're disappointed. DC Deck Builder is fun, light, frothy i'm very happy to play it my number 13 is <laughs> not fun not light not frothy and you're definitely not always gonna be happy when you get to the end of it and you try and count up your rooms and your vegetables and your livestock and how many begging cards you've taken and the fact that you had all these plans and you couldn't put them together and why was i short <laughs> one piece of wood and why does uwe rosenberg hate us misery farm as it was dubbed by some fools many a year ago, yeah. Agricola <laughs> continues to be at the very pinnacle of worker placement Euro games. It is still, again, something that I've, has been a theme through this, tightness where you have to prioritise. It's not about getting a million of everything. It's not about lots and lots of moving whirling cogs. It's about focusing on your few actions each round Yes, it has the feeding mechanism, which in general I do not enjoy. However, to swim along Sean's lane, sometimes the exceptions prove the rule. Agricola is one of the original with the feeding mechanism and is amazing because it is so punishing. It's not a throwaway. It's not you're going to earn six, but you have to spend three every turn. It's like, how are you going to feed them? Learning the cards, learning the decks, learning the strategies. There's depth to this game that is beyond, beyond, beyond. The number of cards that are available is insane. I'm, no more than five people in the whole world can possibly have even looked at all those cards. It's just not possible. It is an absolute stone cold, probably underrated nowadays classic. It was obviously right up there in the ratings back in the day. Agricola, amazing. Firstly... Stay out of my lane. Greenpeace can only do so, so much. To we swim us. in pods. It's, it's just nice nature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I I had uh, Caverna in at number eighty-two, Idiot. and I know you. I know, <laughs> I know you don't. It's, you much prefer Agricola. I prefer Caverna, and I think even then Agricola was just outside my top hundred. It was definitely in contention. It is a fantastic game. I think Caverna is just a little bit lighter, a little bit less foreboding, and that's probably why I like it a little bit better. Agricola, I can't, I can't argue with it. It is a fantastic game. I don't always have fantastic experiences playing it, but that's generally due to my poor play, to be honest. So, yeah, I can't really blame it for that. Nice. You're unlucky 13. My unlucky 13 very much drops into that pool of your beige Euro games that you, you'll play if you want to, I'm pretty sure. It's Rococo. I think, well, obviously I think it's a great game because it's my number 13. Uh, is it, is it, would you say it's a deck builder? You are building your deck up slightly as you go. This one has deck building in uh, it. <laughs> as in it. It's not a deck building game but, per se. But you are you're collecting resources. You're outfitting people for a, a big soiree. It's just a very good Euro game with lots of little elements that I enjoy. The resource collection, the economy side, the slight bit of deck building in there. And it all comes together to form a really nice experience. Not the deepest thinking game out there, but definitely an enjoyable one. And enough, as I say, brain tickle for me to enjoy running. An enjoyable game. I'm happy to play, but probably slightly too high on the trademarked Eki rating for me to write it as. <laughs> Is it? So, because I don't think it's an Eki game. Thing, no, it's it's not. Okay, I don't know if the Eki rating is the right thing. Tell me what the right rating is for this. It's not that it's that difficult to do anything. It's that you're doing few things, and there are things that you must do. So therefore, the breadth of what you can try and do and get away with and still be successful at is limited so yeah it's definitely a very tight game and not massively different avenues to victory you as you said you are all kind of doing the same thing so i can see that because quite often i say one of my favorite things about games is when there is that freedom to go off on your own path and win the game this one doesn't have that this is very tight and not on rails, but not far off them either. There you go. That that. Thanks for for summarising my <laughs> Thanks for summarising my thoughts better than me. The the cold is starting to hammer me as we get towards midnight. Okay. Sometimes I think my number twelve is high up in my ratings due to nostalgia. It probably being the first co-op game I ever played reputation, that sort of thing. And then I get Pandemic out, just base Pandemic, and I play it, and I say, Christ, this is an amazing game every time. And as discussed previously, it provides a different puzzle and a different challenge, and you have to adapt, and you're constantly on the fly and on the hoof and talking to each other, and as new information comes out, you've got to adapt to that new information. Within enough of a limitation for that new that things don't feel random there is a slight pattern to it but you can still get punched in the face sometimes pandemic to me is just a glorious glorious game another evergreen one of the first games i ever purchased for myself out of the hobby if you talk about my return to the hobby about 
15 years ago, something like that. Yeah, my number 12, Sean. Pandemic is a classic for a reason. Another one where it took me quite a long time to warm to. When we said Pandemic Legacy is my number 31, and that's the game that made me appreciate Pandemic. And I like it. It was never really in contention for my top 100. It was in my thoughts, but I, I always knew it was outside the top 100. But still, I do enjoy it now, and I do see the, the magic and the beauty of it. So, yeah, I am happy with your choice there, Ryan. My number 12 is my, yes, it's my highest Lacerda game. And it's On Mars. I fell in love with On Mars a few years ago when it came out. It has got a massive learning curve to it. The game in itself is broke up into two two areas. You're, you're on a ship and you're doing all actions there. And you have to plan going down to Mars itself to build up your buildings and what have you. Move your rovers around. So it's, it's as much a planning game as it is an economy game and a and a strategy game because you are constantly thinking uh, well is that's what it is a strategy game you're constantly thinking ahead and thinking right i need to get down to the planet then to do this and then i need to go back up because i'm going to need resources and but it all works it's all really thematic it has a, a really nice design quality everything once you know it makes a lot of sense and i think it's a very clever a very enjoyable but a, a real hard taskmaster of a game I'm going to put a pin in you. Go on then. I'll be sharing my thoughts on On Mars in the next month or two. Oh, are you sure you want to put a pin in me though? Carefully. I will pop. <laughs> no, I've seen how thick your hide is. <laughs> okay. A fall way back in, I think, the first episode we did of this countdown, which is a long time ago, said that he didn't think there'd be any more Knizia in this countdown, and I had to correct him. And I believe this is probably the last Knizia <laughs> we're going to have in this countdown. My favourite Knizia, the best Knizia game, and it's very difficult for me to take any argument, that Tigris in Euphrates is anything other than absolute brilliance. It's tile laying, it's pulling tiles out of a bag and just working out what the hell I can do with these. It's about... the. Kinesia score, we talked about an Axia Rota, your lowest score is what's going to be your score and you've got to work out how to do it. It doesn't hold you by the hand, it doesn't give you strategies, it doesn't tell you how the board's going to develop. It's very much player dependent, it's massively interactive, it is in fact a war game with tiles, with funny rules. And if you get four Tigris and Euphrates players off the same experience level as you, whatever that may be, you are guaranteed to have, for the first six games, a very confusing time, and for the next 600 games, an amazing time. Tigris and Euphrates, another classic. I feel like I'm in Classic Alley at the moment. <laughs> another classic. It is a classic. I feel like I'm slightly in Cliche Alley as well, like Agricola, Pandemic, Tigris <laughs> and Euphrates, what's coming up? But there, there's reasons these have been on top lists for many, many years. And Tigers New Phrase. Boy, what a game. What an incredible game. If I could do one thing in my life for one second as well as this game has been designed, I would be a very happy man. When people say, oh, Dr. Knizia, game designing genius, this is the game that I immediately think of as his sort of magnum opus. And it's a brilliant, brilliant game. Another one, I keep saying this, Ryan, another one would definitely in my thoughts for the top 100. Didn't quite make it because it is a bit brutal sometimes. It is a bit mean. 
and you do sometimes feel a little bit hosed because the draw of the tiles but that aside it's still a really good experience i do agree you have to have a very similar level of player but yeah it's, it's another great choice i can't complain my problem is that all the sharks on the board think i've played it a lot and i've played it a fair bit <laughs> and think that i'm able to play with them and i'm not no. so i unerringly I've been last in about my last 10 games of Tigers and Freaks and I still love it they're just very good at it what can I do I can't do anything it's fine your number 11 Sean my number 11 and just missing out on the top 10 is the game that I was alluding to earlier that was a long time my number one from probably when I when you said like we got back into the hobby about 15 14 years ago and this was the one that shot to number one stayed there for a hell of a long time it's Arkham Horror Arkham Horror it kind of solidified my love for the Lovecraftian world and well, love, more of a fascination with it. Just such a weird and wonderful world. And Arkham Horror just brings the magic of it to, to life. It tells the stories as you're playing. It is a massive investment in time and you have to be prepared for that. Another game overtook it. And we'll be talking about it later, but it's still very high up in my estimation. As you can tell, it's my number 11 of all time. And Arkham Horror will always be a part of my collection. And I'm just going to say second edition, right? Second edition, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sorry, yeah. First edition's a bit odd. Uh, third edition, I do has it, think it has its merits. I don't think it's a bad game. But second edition is where the magic lies for me. Indeed. Too much for me. Too long for what it delivers. However... I have played it. I would play it. You're my cousin. I love you. <laughs> but only because of that. <laughs> right, here we go. Top 10, Ronan. This is it. Sean. Yeah. Where there's muck. There's grass. Or hay. Or I don't know. Brass, you fool. How did you not know? That's why it's called <laughs> I didn't brass. know. I've heard it before. <laughs> did you not know? That's no. why you called it brass. Where there's muck, there's brass, lad. Hey. Oh, brass. okay. There you go. Lancashire, Birmingham, whatever. They're lumped together. Yeah, <laughs> They're the same agreed. game with a slight tweak. Yes, Birmingham is more flexible and more forgiving. Lancashire, again, has got that slightly older meanness and tightness to it. You can get blocked out and what have you and, and realise that this isn't going my way. They both are absolutely magnificent games. There's a reason Brass Birmingham is currently controversially number one. I am a cliche-riddled machine. I've chosen a load of old favourites here. I actually get excited to play Brass. Now, deliberately, I kind of limit my plays of it because I don't want to burn out on it because, as I said before, I played it many, 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 many times back 14, 15 years ago. And since then, I've rationed it so that every single game is, is a juicy feast in and off itself. I have steadily got worse at it as I've played it less. I used to be good at it. I'm not anymore. That does no way diminish my enjoyment. Brass is another genius design in which you will find yourself becoming smarter as you play it and things develop and you see patterns and you see ways of playing better. And another one that gives you a hand of cards and says, you've got to, you've got to do something with this and you have to make it work. And sometimes it's hard work but it's rewarding hard work. So Brass is my number 10, Sean, whatever, whichever one. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to start you know, crying about these games. They're so good. This is amazing. 
Brass, uh, Lancashire probably for me is, well, it's the one I've played more, but I still haven't played Lancashire enough. I think it was my number 62. I know it's my number 62. I've just looked it up. And it will definitely be a game that the more I play it, the higher it will get because it is a brilliant design. I was a bit of a snob. I didn't really play the older version. It was only when it came with the new swanky version from Roxley Games that I dipped my toe into the brass market and thoroughly enjoyed it. And yeah, it's it's a cracking Euro tough economic game and uh, really well done. So yeah, absolutely on board with that, Ronan. So my number 10, I can't remember if you've mentioned it. And if you haven't, I would expect it to be coming up. It's Lorenzo Il Magnifico. It's an engine building game where you are consistently trying to enhance your economy and build up your engine to run your engine and and to score points effectively. Really thinky, really involved a little bit mean because you can stop people running their engines by taking the worker spots. You can take cards in front of people that you know that they want. It's that Italian design team. I can't remember all the name. The only one I can ever remember is Simone Luciani. But I, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoy Lorenzo Real Magnifico. I don't play it as often as I probably should, but it's definitely still a top 10 game for me. It's my number 10. It's not. It hasn't been in my top 100. It would be in Rachel's top 10. For sure. She loves it. She takes it to every lobster card. Maybe I was thinking of Rachel instead of yourself. Yeah, she absolutely adores it. I think it is a fine game. I think that we have put the expansions in, and I'm not sure it's a game that knows exactly what is the best way to play it. So it's it's got some bits and bobs. Like the base game wasn't perfect. Maybe possibly a little bit too tight. We had one expansion. Yeah, all that stuff works, but then that doesn't quite work over there. And to me, it's never quite coalesced into perfection. But this would have been. You're talking like 101 to 110. It's in that range. It's there somewhere. Very very close to my top one. Okay, so so you've shocked me with two so far. That. I to be honest, I'm not buying Dominion. I'm still waiting for Dominion to pop up on your list. I'm not having it. The, the, <laughs> you don't think it's great. So anyway, you're number nine, Ronan. You be you. I mentioned co-ops, and I've just checked because it occurred to me, this is the first of six co-ops in my top ten. I love co-op games so much. Obviously. Just, <laughs> I love chatting with people. I love working together. I love that social and the sense of achievement together. I love team sports. I've done them my whole life. And I, th- I think this is like, as an older man, this is my chance to get that bringing a team together, get us working together and trying to get to a common goal. It's kind of, I talk a lot at work, Sean. I've got four in my top 11. Co-ops are just great. Co-ops are just great. The good ones are. Now. Go on then. What is it? It is a game that I have dove, divin, dived, divitude, divinoed. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. I told you. I've got a cold. I don't know what words are. Back into in the last month or two and just rekindled the flame and the love of driving those invaders away from our home. As the spirits of Spirit Island, it is is a deck builder. It is such an amazing game. The flexibility of challenge, 
the flexibility of the different it gives me everything I love it gives you different spirits that work in very different ways are you going for fear are you going for annihilation are you going for control and the slow build up are you going for the quick strikes to stop them from expanding then when you throw in that you've got different nations that have different powers then when you throw in that you've got different scenarios then when you throw in that different fear cards will come out every time then when you throw in that you can deck build and that with the expansion to keep coming you've got more and more deck building options Spirit Island is such an amazing again another highly rated one but an amazing cooperative game it only speaks to how lucky we are to have rediscovered this hobby that this is only the sixth best cooperative and ninth best game because if this was number one in my list i would have no complaints and the same for probably any of the top 13 games i love them all so much spirit island is magnificent i think this is probably the first one that i don't see the love for in your list so far today <laughs> i'm getting the abusive hand signals again everyone i'm I'm not happy, but I'll continue because I am a professional. You're not. We've been over that. I've I've only played it once, and that will that will be the caveat. I just didn't see the love for it. I f- I felt that what I had to do, and I was playing the most basic character. I think I was Earth, and then what I had to do was very prescriptive. He's very slow. I had to do hard a, to win with. Yeah. So yeah, it's Earth, and I was kind of. There wasn't a lot of choice for me. I had, What was there, it was very obvious what to do. And I didn't feel like I had a lot of choices to help the team. I had to do a specific thing. So maybe if I was to try some of the other, the other spirits and uh, see how they work. I'm not writing it off, but so far I'm yet to be wowed. I don't think it's the type of co-op that you love. There's not a lot of actual story to it. It is very mechanical. Mechanical. We said that at the same time. It's almost like we know each other. We did. <laughs> almost like we spent 45 <laughs> years talking to each other. Yeah, I, I understand that. I don't. I knew that it would never be a big hit for you, but Spirit Island for me is just glorious business. You're number nine, Sean. Yeah, it certainly has its fans across the globe. So my number nine is the game, when everyone says to me, what's the biggest under-the-radar game that you love that nobody really else does? And I will always say Dungeon Command. Dungeon Command is a wonderful experience of a game. Yes, it's a skirmish game. I'm not really a skirmish fan. I've never really been into that type of game, but this one is done so well. Very easy to learn and get into. All the usual characters and what have you from your Dungeons and Dragons. and The factions all come in their own box, ready to play. And they all make thematic sense. They do what you think they should be doing. The card play is very clever. And it always... I've never known a game that hasn't come to a really tight, thematic, clingy... Like, oh, am I going to win this or am I going to lose it? Finish. And it's, there's always been those moments that we talk about all the time that you remember like Ronan's attacking my umber hulk and it hanging on just a lot enough for me to get around and win the game and I'm getting the I'm getting the hand signals again but Dungeon Command is just such a good game and I, I, I don't really know why it wasn't a bigger splash so there you go I'm number nine it is the skirmish game for non-skirmish game players it really is, yeah. Probably, sure. like, if you got into skirmishes, you, you want that flexibility of building your own faction and having your own powers and setting your own cards up, or, or however they work. I don't know, because mm. I don't play skirmish games. I've certainly been tempted lots of times by them, but just it's too much time to put into, given that I don't have time to play the board games yeah. that I love. 
I enjoy Dungeon Command greatly. It would be in my top 200. I think it has got some slight wobbles in it here and there, but is a lot of fun. And that is the most important thing, that every time we've played Dungeon Command, I have enjoyed myself. And I didn't really care who won. I'm sorry to break it to you. I was just having fun. Yeah, yeah, you didn't you, didn't you? The, the amount of swearing would, would tell that, that that's That was lie. happy swearing. Was it happy swearing? <laughs> I think you touched on that. I think it's probably neither fish nor fowl in the skirmish world. Something's a bit foul. Now. <laughs> You're number eight. Sean. Mm. Four of us, maybe a couple of beverages, a few tortilla chips, end of a gaming night. We're going to have some fun. We're going to roll some dice and people will end up jumping up from the table, crying and or laughing, pointing, shouting at each other, and someone will come out as the Lord of Vegas. I'm on board. In here for the numerous fantastic nights I have had playing this with friends around my old flat, just laughing, standing up for dice rolls, the improbability of taking over a huge casino and then it coming up and scoring you those points. It is all about fun. It is all about laughter. It's all about having a good time. It's got chance in it, but it's not completely random chance, but that doesn't mean you couldn't get hosed. It invokes the theme of being a casino and gambling without you walking out at four in the morning without any shoes on. Lords of Vegas, for the good times, is within my top ten. It's my number eight, and I adore it, and I adore the memories it's given me. I thought this might have slipped out because you haven't played it or you haven't mentioned it, at least, to me for a long time. I've had many of those experiences that you're talking about I was part of, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Had a couple of negative experiences with it, which were people-based, and they were personality-based, but a couple of people got a bit too upset about things. And it, it, it just put a little bit of downer on the game, probably knocked it out of my top 100. But it was certainly a game that I had a lot of fun with. So, yeah, good good shout again. If, if you want to name me, you can name me. I'm right here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, for once in your life, you weren't one of those people. Huh? That's, that's pretty <laughs> remarkable. That's why it's my number eight. There you go. There you go. There you go. So my number eight is one of the major players in... When I talk about having building my own tableau in front of me and being able to see it at the end of a game, I've built that. It's one of the major players for that, and it's Suburbia. Suburbia, very abstract, which is unusual for me, but everything that comes out is, is thematic. The factories are thematic. The, the airports are thematic. The residential areas all do what they're supposed to do. Really clever bid-in system. Yeah, there was always a couple of issues with the PR firm and the casino, but we know about those, so we could iron them out pretty quickly. I've never actually played any of the expansions, even though I have them because I've bought the big box. Of course, I did. And Suburbia's been long been a favourite ever since I first played it and fell in love with it. So, yeah. Let me just say that I thought I would hate it when I first saw it. Just the design of it looked awful, but I love it. Suburbia. Yeah, top 50 game for me. I've never loved it quite as much as you have you've always made me feel bad about that but it's a top 50 game i love it sean i love it. just not i'm not obsessed with it but i love it i love it it's a great game i enjoy the same things you enjoy about it about building up your own thing and having a bit of a plan and letting it all come together first expansion good second expansion bad i've cleared that up for you 
There you go. Thank you. Okay, you're number seven. My number seven, I am certain, is on your list sometime very soon. It is the game that surpassed Arkham Horror. And for us, many a drunken evening, having a very long time (laughs) delving into (laughs) idiocy and making up our own laughter, playing Eldritch Horror, globe-spanning, globe-trotting, Again, I always say I, I'm not that fussed by the Cthulhu milieu, but some great games have been made within it and allows enough of reality with a slight twist that isn't... When I say it's not kitsch, is it kitsch? I don't care. I don't think it is. I think it's just itself. I'm sorry that he was a horrible person who wrote it all. I'm glad he's not making any yeah, money. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> but... Eldritch Horror creates stories. It is incredibly well designed. The fact that you put in certain cards for certain Elder Ones into certain scenarios can just tie things together. Some of the the middle expansions were absolute genius where you put in the the Pyramid Board, for example, along with the story of that particular Elder One and the fact that then the cards you put out will all tie together and lead you along a path. And of course, you have to thread it together yourself because it's such a wide-ranging experience. You must be willing to meet the game halfway to create the full experience but we always do we always have an amazing time with it we're always laughing there's always great stories we've got numerous classic stories dr death might be my favorite but um eldritch horror sure my number seven of all time and i know you love it yeah it's all right that's what i thought we move on what's your number seven (laughs) my number seven is probably the game i get in the most arguments about when i mention it's one of my favorite games because If you're going to boil it down to mechanisms and being clever and everything like that, it's not that good. But again, as a story building and fun, and I put the emphasis on fun, Firefly is just a really amusing and rewarding experience. Again, it's very personal because I love the Firefly series and I love the Serenity film and... I, I can see myself in that universe and for me it was a really well fleshed out universe and uh, one of the ones that was gutted when it was cancelled but uh, I just had I have great stories and we have great conversations in Firefly and we, it's great dickery going on and it's just a really fun experience all the way through and that's why it's remaining in my top 10 Firefly number 7 I've started to doubt Firefly and it's not from any play of it is from not having played it and i've started to doubt whether i do have that much fun with it and it's been on my to get played list for about four months and i haven't managed to do it and i wish i could give a more up-to-date opinion on it i've had tons of fun playing it we have had a lot of laughter playing it it's because it doesn't make sense Ron. it like you look at the mechanics of the game and the mechanisms and you think right that's very very bog standard pick up and deliver game it doesn't, but when you play it and you know the characters and, you, and there is a bit of dickery and there is complete random, but it's funny random and you're expecting the random, that's that's the beauty of it. Don't do the start scenario. We've been saying it for years. It makes you play a whole game of it and then stop and then play another game of it and then stop and then play a third uh, game of it with three different goals. Use a different <laughs> and alternate start scenario if you are going to play it for the first time. I do like Firefly. It is currently on this ranking just outside my top 100 but it is pending a docking space sean and could find itself (laughs) launched somewhere into the midst of this and i am gagging gagging for a play of firefly let me tell you 
Cool. Right. What's the one that missed out on on your top five? Right? It was your number thirty-one, Sean. So I expect you to have it immediately to uh, to tongue about what it is. I talked about it's elder, smaller. Oh, pen. <laughs> Pandemic Legacy. Well, wow, that cut me off on my build-up, yeah. That did, sorry. That was a bit yeah, weird. you won me. Number 12 was Pandemic. Number 6 is Pandemic Legacy Season 1. It took that system. It added one of the few truly successful legacy systems to it. It was surprising. It was unexpected. It was challenging. It took a long time to play. It appears to be now received wisdom that you don't make legacy games that long anymore well if they're really good you can make them that long because they work and it was <laughs> just so good i played it through twice put it that way pandemic legacy season one another one that made it to number one on the charts i am just a walking cliche as i keep saying but it was a gaming experience within itself that can never be repeated it's bottled lightning Others have attempted. No one has quite got there. And it is a memory that, of course, I'm, I can't really go back and play again anymore. I've done it twice. But I will always treasure. And inevitably over the years now, this is going to slip down because it's not one I can go back to. But I hold very dear the memories of my two playthroughs of it. Just an absolute brilliant system. Based on that skeleton of pandemic, which shows what an amazing system that is to have produced so many good games out of it. Yeah, it was my number 31, probably the finest legacy game there's been, and um, definitely set the standards for sure. My number six, I know again, I'm on very firm ground with Ronan. It's the game, Ronan, that I was really shocked wasn't in your top 10, is Mythic Battles Pantheon. What wonderful experiences we have. Some ding-dong battles, That even the three-player game was absolutely brilliant. Uh, we had again that was a memorable game and that's what he's producing memorable game after memorable game and very much in the same mold as dungeon command for me with those little little battles that take place within the greater battle that you remember and the stories it, uh, that unfold really clever system I, I used to get i still get really confused with the diet the exploding dice but ronan's often on hand to sort me out there and tell me what i'm doing it's even been used as a uh, a tool for my son's, my son's schooling now because he's doing uh, ancient Greeks as one of his subjects. So we just we're going to play some mythic battles pantheon, and he's going to learn about all the different heroes and monsters and characters. Yeah, it's my number twenty eight, as discussed previously. Just due to lack of plays, I've played it a handful of times. That's what keeps it that low, and the fact that I can say that number twenty eight game of all time with the thousands of games I've played is low shows how incredible it is like i said it's our retirement game sean we're going to play this when we retire it's happening okay <laughs> cool right into the top five ronan what is your number five you knew this game was coming so don't shout at me all right sentinels <laughs> of the multiverse get out of here brilliant it really is i will say well that for for a modern audience I would say it is beginning to show a bit of clunk here and there that could be streamlined. <laughs> However, that clunk to me means depth and texture and flavour. The variety in heroes is incredible. The variety in villains, the fact the environments give the little twist. Playing on the app is much easier, but if you're a new player, incredibly confusing and a bit slow. I love it. I was talking to 
my friend Paul about the other day and he said I tried playing on the app and it was so slow I was like mate try playing it in real life try four-handing <laughs> that bad boy with a million tokens on the table trying to keep everything in track trust me the app's quicker than that although it does go through its animations a bit slow but it's one that Ellie and I is like our own private little we have fun no one else around us loves it as much as we do there are some players at London on board and on the odd occasion I have been able to sit down and play with them and had a ton of fun with them it's like a little cult and when you find other Sentinels of the Multiverse fans, there's always that shared language and you will be having fun together. It forces you to talk. It forces you to work together. It means that not everyone's going to be having amazing turns every time. That's not the sort of game it is. You must sacrifice yourself to the greater good and sometimes you'll be able to do things you want to do and sometimes you just can't. You have to be the person that discards cards, which is to a particular taste, but it is to my taste Again, another game that I have well over 100 plays off, and there's still bits of it I haven't explored in any depth whatsoever. Sentinels of the Multiverse, Sean, I know, I know, but I love it. <laughs> I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. You're not disappointed. Uh, You're I not am, angry. I thought, you know what, I thought, you know what, he's, he's, he's an intelligent boy. He'll realise one day, but here it is, sat is at your number five of all time. And you had to throw Ellie in, so I can't be too rude. <laughs> no, because so she's like, a no. darling little girl, okay? She doesn't want her uncle Shorty upset her. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Each to their own. <laughs> this one for me is just so high in the faff rating. This is up in the 90s in the faff rating. It's just so fiddly and faffy and ah, frustrating. There you go, three Fs. I can't argue it. It's faffy. I think I think that's what I said. It's faffy. It's faffy. But it's amazing. There's so, it's so much depth in there. There's so much to chew on and go. There's so many choices. There's so many ways to go. Oh, mechanically, it kicks Marvel Champions behind. It's just that Marvel Champions is quicker, easier to play, and it's got Marvel characters. Fair dues, right? My number five is my favourite Feld game, Ronan. And it is a merry-go, the game which I declared in 2013 was one of the ugliest I'd ever seen and I wasn't going to play it. And here it is at my number five game of all time. It's the one with the cube tower. I think the cube tower works incredibly well. I know you differ, Ronan, which is cool. We've talked about it, but I just think it's a really feldy experience. I love feld, and this is one of his most feldy games. There's so many ways to score. It is fruit salad plus and point salad rather than fruit salad. Fruit salad, yeah. When I get fruit salad, are you getting hungry? (laughs) Have some trifle quick. Um, um, Point salad plus, and I love myself a bit of Amerigo. Now, the reason I like the cube tower is is something I think again where we kind of veer off from the same path is I love getting those decisions and having to make them on the hoof and you love sort of thinking four three four turns ahead and that this is what this gives me that on the hoof decisions all the time and that's a merry go nah that's not why i don't like that cube tower i think that there's a lot right <laughs> with this game and i rate it very highly and i do enjoy my plays of it my issue with the cube tower is that if all the cubes come out in one slot at the wrong time for you and you've planned for it, it, it can swing the whole thing someone else's way. When, it, when they all drop into whatever, the, the sixth compartment, and it suits what someone else has done, and you're not quite ready for that on this turn, 
is gone. And sometimes there's too many turns where, you know, you should have the choice of being able to choose your actions, but they all come out and you're like, well, we're all going to do that action because it's power six this turn. So we just have this turn of I do it, 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 all right, let's move on. That was a dud turn. And that is what keeps it from being top, top notch. It's still a top notch game. Although outside my top 100, we'll be within my top 200. I enjoy America. Cool. All right. Number four. Is the granddaddy of deck builders. <laughs> Dominion will always bring me back to the times when a load of my oldest, oldest friends who are still my friends and my friends for 30, 35 years were also getting into gaming. And we were all in our late 20s, early 30s. We all had jobs, starting families, all the rest of it. And we would still stay up till three in the morning like idiots because we were addicted to playing Dominion. It was one more game, one more game, one more game for game after game after game. And it did something completely different. It was the magic of it. But the sustained magic of Dominion is that it still stands up and that you can still get out a set of Dominion cards, look at them, and you're still solving that puzzle. And it almost gives me that co-op-y, puzzle thing while I'm being competitive. And depending upon which cards you either choose or randomly put in, it's going to be a different experience, and you're going to be pulled in different ways. And what other players do does actually matter to what you're doing, and yet it plays so quickly and cleanly. And it has been so influential in so many ways on all these games and so many games that we've just mentioned that have implemented deck building in some way they still work the same way as dominion cards work they give you extra actions or extra buys or extra currency it's just absolute pure gold of a system yes worked on but never improved on and dominion is just an absolute mainstay of game design and the gaming experience and worth anyone's time my number four is dominion well said much better said than i did <laughs> that's what i was thinking <laughs> my uh, my number four is eldritch horror another one it took over from arkham horror as my number one but it's, it's just dropped down again probably through lack of plays because i don't get it to the table as as often as i'd like to even though it is shorter and more streamlined than arkham horror it's still quite difficult to get to the table but as Rana said it's those stories my favorite one was playing and our friend chris managed to get eaten by the same dog two or three times in a row so his nickname for the rest of the weekend was pedigree chump that's the kind of like just just silly humour that comes from games of Eldritch Horror. Um, hoping that we're going to get a game in at this weekend coming at LobsterCon, and I wouldn't be surprised if that one makes me think. You know what? That should still be my number one game of all time because I well, every time I do play it, I, I realise that it's such a clever game, and that's what people fail to realise about Eldritch Horror and Arkham Horror. But Eldritch Horror specifically is very clever. The way they weave in the story to the gameplay and make it all seem really thematic. And yeah, Eldritch Horror, my number four. It's a strong choice. Strong choice. It's, uh, <laughs> you are right. It is great. Okay. My number three of all time was your number 22 of all time. And I think that possibly partially reflects upon the number of plays we have each had of it i've mentioned that i'm playing a steam campaign of it and loving 
again. Gloomhaven, another cliche. <laughs> <laughs> it's it shouldn't work, but it does. It's genius. It's one man making. You talk about an opus for Tigris and Euphrates. This is it for game design. For one guy to pull this off, it is the constant choices. It is the hand management that you're always forced to do. It is the requirement that you work together and communicate per year, communicate per year, communicate per year. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Pori gets an awful time it's on this It's what he's for. It's what he's for. It's his best use. <laughs> it's the variety between games. The campaign system itself... I'm going to be honest, he's overly long and slightly overly raw and the fact that you have to reset and go again... It's not perfect, but its highs are so incredibly high and it works so amazingly well that it, it makes it my number three game of all time. I know Frosthaven's around. I've seen people punching it and boxing it and I'm going to be honest, Sean, I might wait for the Steam edition. Although Rachel is desperate to play some gloomhaven stuff, so we might get it, but I, currently I'm, I'm weighing towards it's easier to get it played the same. <laughs> <laughs> but Gloomhaven's yeah, my number three. Enough. Just an, an amazing, epic, such a solid actual mechanical card management and tactical spatial game on top of everything else that's in there. Uh, it's just Ooh. glorious. It possibly a contender for number one if I ever do get it regularly to the table. It is a really clever game. And as mechanically sound and brilliant as it is, they still manage to get the lore and the theme through, which is genius on top of genius. So I think it is a, it is a really impressive product. And if I do manage to get more plays, it will certainly be higher than 22. Right, my number three is... I think I got pulled for having this as a deck builder as well. <laughs> Even though you are slightly building your deck, but for other reasons as well, it's Concordia. Concordia is long been one of my very, very favourite Euro games. And as a straight-up Euro game, is my favourite Euro, ga- Euro game. I said Euro game quite a lot in that. Is it a Euro game or not? <laughs> it might be a Euro game. <laughs> you do have a deck-building aspect in the game, you are sort of choosing the right moments to play your cards. You've still got the area control and the traveling to think about and the resource collection all comes together in a really enjoyable experience for me. It's set in ancient Rome or around Europe in the Roman times with the various different maps. And that's again a period of, of history that I really enjoy and quite fascinated with. So it all comes together and it, it's almost the perfect Euro for me. It has everything I like contained in the box. And uh, Concordia is my number three of all time. I might have said this before, but I think this has to be my number 101. I'm a bit surprised (laughs) looking at this. It's not in my top 100. I I enjoy Concordia greatly. And were I to sit down and write this list today, and we always say that this is changeable, I imagine it would be in my top 100. I, I like Concordia a massive amount. I've got that solitaria ready to roll to achieve add some spice to our two-player games, which we also enjoy. Ooh. It works at different player accounts. I've played Venus with the team with many, many players. I've played it two-player on two-player maps, which works just as well. It is a fantastic evergreen Euro game. I've surprised myself. I don't know why it's not on here. Sorry. Because <laughs> you're on wrong. God, you're number two. Sean, this is a momentous occasion. 
I want you <gasps> to note it with suitable solemnity and pageantry because after many, many... Oh, is your, is your long-time number one dropped? Dominant Species is my number two game of all time. Oh! <laughs> I would have put my house on Dominant Species still. I love <laughs> Dominant Species so much, but I haven't played it now for a little while. And it doesn't speak to its own quality that it's number two. It is the blend of perfection for me of the Euro strong mechanisms of the action selection, of the turn order being very important, of the spatial play being very important, of timing, of creating opportunities for yourself and for others. It's got longer term and very shorter term alliances going on and the alliances are very subtle because the placement of one little chit or the removal of one little chit, the use of a card, the dynamics around the table whereby you're never quite sure who your main rival is and who you should be keeping an eye on and who you might let go. But if you if you loosen that leash a bit, that person might start running and suddenly they're the problem. The movement, but it is just limited enough that there are patterns to it. And the more you play, the more you see the patterns, the more you see what people are going for, the more that you can see these alliances forming, the way that you can anticipate certain cards coming up and react to them and plan to use them, but have to position yourself to be able to be in a position to use them well. It feels chaotic on first plays. I can imagine the patterns are all there. It's about looking, responding, interacting and most importantly rampant amounts of abuse around the table at each other and just basically destroying each other's personality integrity and reputation amongst the community dominant species has been my number one game for many 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 years it has slipped very slightly to my number two and again no disrespect to dominant species it is just brilliant the best board game in the world Dominant Species is one, a game that I really appreciate, but I was put off for so long because of a really laboured first ever experience, which I'm sure you remember, Ronan, the six-hour epic. It was longer than that. There was two meals in that game. <laughs> two meals. <laughs> and there was two meals in it. Maybe I've condensed it in time just to, to ease my mind, but... Yeah, that experience was so poor that it put me off the game for a long time. I do want to play it again, but I want to play it again with somebody who's only played it once or twice. I don't want to dive in. Don't be mean to me. Don't, don't, don't exclude me. But you'll absolutely rinse me. I won't, because like Tammany Hall, you'll all just beat me up. (laughs) It's a game in which you don't get to run away. If it looks like, if I look like I'm going to score a point, you'll all be like, kill him. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I'll, I'll make, I'll play with you then. I can see why it's a really good game. I can see, like, mechanically-wise, and even the theme starts to come through, and I can see why I'm just never personally experienced a great game of it, but I'm sure it's there somewhere when I do play it eventually. So, uh, yeah, I'm still in shock that it's your number two. I imagine the whole gaming community just shook. That's what I'm imagining. Oh, oh, yeah, it's an absolute bombshell dropped in the middle of the gaming community. (laughs) My number two, you're going to roll your eyes because it's not a game, is Mansions of Madness. It's yet another Lovecraftian effort and it's probably the ease of play that has pushed this ahead of the likes of Eldritch Horror and Arkham Horror in that trio of games. 
the app is brilliant. It, it does exactly what I need it to do. I can play it up on a, on a telly while we play on the table in front of the telly. The atmosphere is set. We have the same crack that we have when we're playing Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror and Firefly, but it's just so easy to get to the table. Now, as I said, when we go to LobsterCon, if we do manage that game of, of Eldritch Horror that we've been promising each other, Eldritch Horror will probably jump ahead of it again because they are very close in my in my thinking. But uh, Mansions of Madness just has the edge and has never disappointed me. And that's why it's my number two game of all time. Atmospherically, it is a fantastic experience. That playing with it up on the in the dark with it up on the TV was amazing. Mechanically, it's just lacking, and the, the forced pacing and the fact you live around by the nose. So mechanically, it's not strong enough for it to be one of my favourite games. But as an experience, I had a ton of fun, and I'm happy to. I almost said play it. I almost a slip of the tongue. <laughs> Experience it with you, Sean. Shut up. <laughs> cool. Go on then. What is the act of genius that's finally supplanted Dominant Species as your number one game of all time? We really sound like H.P. Lovecraft fanboys in this. We, we truly <laughs> we do. We do. I, I, I appreciate the work, if not the man. The man was a screaming racist, bigot, sexist. Whatever you can throw at him, he was pretty much it. He was a bad person, and I don't endorse him at all, but his works have made some really good games. <laughs> and yet, do you know anything about the stories or the theme, or are you really into it? Are you really like, is it just I... something that's a bit creepy and a bit odd? No, I did read some of the books. They are... Painful, they're, 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 but they're, they're all about the ambience, and it's it's the ambience comes through in the books, and that's what the games have grabbed onto really well is that feel of dread and that like we're all up against it, and there's this the tiniest sliver of the hope. I think it's because other forms of horror have become cliched, so you try to do a vampire. Then you, there's so many other Maybe, references. Yeah. But when you go into Lovecraft, there's no other references, so it kind of feels like our own little world. I think that's why we've latched onto it. Anyway, I'll talk about what my number one game is. <laughs> I, I got out. Ar- <laughs> yeah, I got out Arkham Horror, the card game, two days ago, and it was a scenario we got to that I had never played before, and I got a feeling that is very rare to me nowadays as a jaded old git. I actually got thrilled. To get it out thrilled. and see, thrilled. To Did get it out and go, how, how is, what's going to happen? What's going to happen here? What, how is this one going to work? What, how are we going to solve this? How are we going to put together what we can do and get ourselves through whatever lunacy this is going to throw at us? And it was lunacy. And it was something completely different to anything I'd seen in any other scenario. And I'm like, oh. The thing with its peers is that with Lord of the Rings, the card game, you were tied into there's this ticking threat going on, which is kind of similar with the, with the Doom in Arkham Horror. <laughs> but you have to journey along, and you're forced that you are going to progress, and the only way you can do it is to progress along the journey, wherever you do that. With Marvel Champions, you must defeat the baddie. Same with Sins of the Multiverse, even though it's not a living card game. It's got a certain amount of health, and however creative they get with that, and whatever challenges they throw, at the end of the day, you always have to get that baddie down to zero health. The absolute genius of Arkham Horror, the card game, is there is no one mechanism which says that's what you have to do to win. And even in a scenario 
there are always multiple ways to resolve that one scenario. So it allows for freedom of expression and freedom of gameplay, but freedom of design and storytelling and pacing and narrative that the other card games have not been brave enough to give themselves. They're slightly strictured in. And again, we go back to the theme. The whole Cthulhu scene is a gamer's scene. It's from you know, Call of Cthulhu role-playing game back in the 80s through we have made it our own. And when you're dealing with Lord of the Rings and Marvel, you you probably can't take those risks. You probably have to go, it's a bit of a structure and you have to have a bit more of a limited play space. In Arkham Horror the Card Game, they have gone wild. You have got master designers of cooperative card games who have been set free and said, the stranger, the odder, the more varied the challenge you can pose, the better it suits this theme and the more we want you to do that. So when you do open a pack of Arkham Horror, now don't get me wrong, sometimes you're going to be like, oh, this is kind of a standard one where we have to go around, we have to get some clues, we have to fight some thingies and we have to develop and to pay our clues in. But quite often also, you're going to go, hold on, what? And you're going to be in the streets of Paris and this thing's going to turn up and you're going to be like, oh, you have no way of harming that, by the way. What? <laughs> what, what do you want me to do? Don't know. Work it out. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And you're just stopping going, what are we doing here? Or you're going to be on a train trying to get out to visit something. And suddenly, sorry, spoilers, everyone, the train's going to start disappearing and locations are going to disappear off the board. And if you're in there, you're not dead. You're gone. You're actually out of the whole universe. You've been sucked into a void. You're like, what? What are you doing? I was just like wandering around this train chatting to people, seeing what's going on. No, no, you're out of here, mate. <sighs> and it treats you like an adult. It says, here's a situation, respond like an adult, respond as if you're there, and that is when you'll get the most out of it. And it's that sense of exploration, excitement, tightness, working together, experiencing a story, but every time you play the story slightly different and you're discovering different things, it is absolutely remarkable. There's a ton of content for it. You don't even need a ton of content for it. In just like the base set, you've got probably a dozen plays. Once you start going on beyond that, it just exponentially grows. And Arkham Horror the Card Game is my current favourite game of all time. I adore it, Sean. I knew you really liked it. I didn't see it uh, being your number one, but it's a game where I have dipped my toe into it. I can see how good it can be. I've just done the, the opening scenario, so I, I do want to play it. It will come to the table quite soon, actually. We were talking about it just the other day. Nat said, well, we got that, and I bought, she bought me a nice box for it and everything. And why are we not playing it? I said, well, we really should play it, because it's a very good game. I said, Ronan and Rachel absolutely adore it. If we've got any questions, we can always ask them, because Fantasy Flight rule books can be a bit hit and miss. Good shout. I'm looking forward to dipping my toe into, into that. Given how much I love the other Lovecraftian games that I've mentioned on my list so far, I'm sure I will love it, too. So my number one of all time is a game I actually managed to get to the table the other day. So I was a little bit wary going into it, Ronan, because I thought, mm, is this going to solidify my thoughts on it? Or am I going to think, oh, actually, no, it probably isn't. But luckily, it solidified it. It's Eclipse, the Euro game in space. Why do I love Eclipse so much? Because of that Euro aspect to it. It's a little bit different than your average 4X 
game where you're just you are just moving around the table you do have to look at your resources you do have to build up your technology you start with very basic ships if you want to attack anything in the universe you need to get the technology in you need to build up your the weaponry on your ships the defense capabilities of your ship and to do that you have to explore you have to get resources in and it all works so well on top of that, you've got your basic Terran sides, which all do the same. But if you flip the cards over, you've got your alien races, and they are all different. So you're all starting with a different strength and a different weakness. On top of that, we played a three-player game. doesn't quite get over the four-player hump, which is that when you have a four-player game, it's all about alliances, and you make alliances, and you can be a traitor. You can... Go against your alliance. And that's another facet to the game that just makes it a brilliant experience all round. So I played the other day with uh, Nathan and Terry, who have been on the on the podcast before. Nathan had been asking me for a long time to play it and bring it round. So I finally went round and we played it. And the next day I got a text from Nathan saying, can you come around tonight as well? I want to play it again. It was so good. And that is the magic of Eclipse. It's just such a good experience. And... Yeah, it's, it's been a long time in my top 10, and I think just recently I've started to appreciate just a little bit more for how clever it actually is, and that's Eclipse. My only problem with Eclipse is that I play it once every three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... The, and genuinely... It is one of those. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> if it had more often and more regular plays, it would have a chance to start really digging into this 100, but it doesn't, so it's, it's mm. just outside... It's just been pushed aside by other games. That's why I don't own it anymore. You owned it and we live near each other. And then obviously moving away, as we both say, we don't have access to certain games as much anymore, as much time as we seem to have 10 years ago <laughs> for some reason. So Eclipse is a game that I am always happy to play. It is certainly a top-notch game and I think it is a fine choice. And another one that I know you've loved for a long, long time. And I'm glad that your fear was all for naught. Yeah, and I think the second edition solved a few of the issues. Not that I would have ever found the glass cannon conundrum or whatever it was called, where people had find a, a pretty solid way to make sure they won the game and everyone had to follow suit. But I think it's it's cured that and it's added a few expansions in and stuff like that to keep it fresh. Nice. Now, we didn't share Lovely. many games in our top. We shared three in over our top... 100 overall of each other of our top 10s. There wasn't that much of a crossover. But from the games that we both rated highly, I've pulled together a little bit of a joint top seven games of all time, Sean. See if you're happy to endorse this. (laughs) Number seven, Terraforming Mars. Okay, that's solid enough, yeah. Yeah, you're going to like all of them. There, you did rate them all highly. I haven't stitched you up. I haven't thrown. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, no, I was thinking more like solid. Yeah, I, I expected that to be. A crossover, for sure. Number six, Mythic Battles Pantheon. Thought it'd be higher for you, but yep. Number five, slightly surprising, possibly Dixit. No, I think we both have had a lot of love over the years for that. Number four, Pandemic Legacy Season 1. Mm-hmm. Number three, you're dragging it down, Gloomhaven. <laughs> Sorry. Number two, an oldie but goodie, Dominion. The granddaddy himself, or herself. And... Actually, as with the last time we did this five years ago, our joint number one game we both agree is in our, both our top tens, the only one, is Eldritch Horror. Eldritch. 
Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was my Standard number one last crack. time. And it was in your top five. So, yeah. It is that good. And I think it gets a little bit overlooked by a lot of people because it is another Lovecraft game in that Arkham Horror sort of style. Uh, I, I don't, even though it's very popular, don't get me wrong, I think it should be more popular. I think it's that clever. That's the thing that gets me with that. Whenever I play it, it's not just, yeah, it's a good game, but it's so clever. It's so well put together and thought through. It is quite long. It's very long. That is true. That is true. I think not as long as Arkham, though. Not as long as Arkham. Well, that's why Arkham's not up there. (laughs) It's too long (laughs) and too crazy. I remember the first time we got Arkham out around my house to learn it and all the rest of it. Oh, man, I don't think I've recovered ever from just being overwhelmed. <laughs> that was just nuts. To me, Arkhamara the card game gives a, a very similar feel, obviously. in it, I mean, it will still take you maybe 90 minutes, two hours per scenario, but it is slightly more condensed and more manageable. So. You know, Nat much prefers... She likes Eldritch Heart, don't get me wrong, but she much prefers Arkham Horror. She loves the familiarity of the locations and the characters that pop out of the locations. I think they're more tailored to the locations where Eldritch Horror is more spread out and you get random people and random things in, in the locations. I mean, she's wrong, but I accept that she does think that. <laughs> okay. Cool. All right, well, yeah, there you have it, everyone. We have finally got our top 100 of all time finished, Ronan. How are you feeling? I'm feeling fluey and exhausted, <laughs> and I'm going to my bed. But before I do go, Sean, thank you for 10 years of podcasting and 35 more years of being my cousin. And likewise, thank you. As I said at the top of the show, Ronan, so it is an industry industry uh, term there, the top of the show. I like that. Great. You are a pro. <laughs> there you go i've shown you now uh yeah thank you for keeping it going i love you very much i'm editing it all out anyway but thanks for saying it just fair enough <laughs> sean for the 204th time see us out <laughs> we are very proud members of the dice tower network go to that and to the dice tower itself for gaming goodness galore should you wish to contact us, and please do, tell us we're wrong about our top 100, tell us we're right, uh, whatever you want to say. If you've got ideas for the show, please let us know. We'll, we'll listen to anything. <laughs> Give us a shout at thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com or pop along to Board Game Geek to our guild, and uh, we are more than ready to come in and have a chat with you there as well. We are on social media. You can find us on Twitter instagram and facebook thank you very much everybody for listening for the last 10 years and here's the 10 years more music by e aaron Boy, 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 celebrate, boy, 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 bo